going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. Good evening and welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Debbie George Addis. Thanks for tuning in to America Can We Talk and to tonight's First Five. There was very big news today at the U.S.-Mexican border just a couple of hours ago, and that is that the caravan that's been proceeding toward the American border, the uh, Central American Troop uh, civilian caravan uh, from Honduras and other places, uh, actually pushed up against the U.S. border, um, in the, uh, the southern border of the U.S., and that the U.S. border. Uh, Custom and Border Protection people were trying to close the southern border because this caravan was so insistent on coming in. And the um, the caravan, a large number of people from the caravan, attempted to push through to force their way in before the border people, border uh, Customs and Border Protection, could get the border closed. And they ended up firing tear gas. U.S. officials fired tear gas at the migrants as they attempted to break through the fence. So this has escalated, and I want to spend this first five tonight talking again about putting this caravan issue in the larger context under which it deserves to be analyzed. First, if you didn't know, listen to my show last week or hear my podcast on Wednesday, you may not know, but this caravan is actually funded, coached, supported, aided along the way by an international socialist organization. The English translation of the name of that group is People Without Borders. This is an an aggressive international socialist organization has on its website encouraging people to support the caravan. And this group is dedicated not just to socialism, but openly advocating for the destruction of the nation state, destruction of borders. They're globalists. They do not like the fact that America has a firm border, that we consider it to be our border, and that we consider that we have the right to decide who comes into America and who does not. So that was the first issue, that this is not a a random, organic uh, uprising by impoverished people. Now, the People in the caravan, especially the very tiny percentage of those people who are women and children, because the caravan is overwhelmingly fighting age men, young men coming here for jobs or whatever else they have in mind. But the women and children are a small portion, and they are actually impoverished. No one is denying that poverty exists in Honduras, El Salvador, other Central American countries. But the caravan itself is being funded, orchestrated, pushed, mobilized by international socialist forces, the N- some NGOs and others, in particular People Without Borders, who want to force a confrontation with America. They want to push America to see, do we really, really believe in? Are we going to stand by our borders? The second point to understand about this caravan is the attitude. Yes, there are people who are poor, but 
they are not citizens of America. It's not like they're citizens trying to fight their way back. They have no legal right to come to America. They can come here and apply for asylum, but poverty is not a basis for asylum. They're not going to get asylum if we follow our own laws based on poverty. But they have gotten this far through encouragement by these NGOs, by, frankly, left-wing forces in America. In one particular case I want to mention, there was a woman in the caravan who was interviewed. There's a lot of, are a lot of journalists embedding themselves or walking with the caravan, staying with them. There's a large number, two or 3,000, encamped in Tijuana, just south of the California, the Mexican border, in uh, the American border, uh, Southern California border with Mexico in Tijuana. And the, and the Mexican government is supplying food to these people who are, as I say, Honduran, El Salvadoran. They are Central American people. The country of Mexico is providing them food. One particular woman, Miriam Celaya, C-E-L-A-Y-A, was interviewed by a journalist, and she had been given free food from the Mexican government. The food consisted of rice and beans. She rejected it. She told the journalist she rejected it because this kind of food is food for pigs. This is an impoverished caravan uh, invader. That's how she characterized the generosity of the Mexican people, food for pigs. Because she made such a scene and there was such negative commentary then offered about the caravan and about this woman, she interviewed the next day. She, she came back and said, well, you know, I, mean, I shouldn't have said that exactly. What I really want is to get into America for free, free health care, free medical care. Okay, so we're supposed to feel better about that. She's just coming here to get free health care. I don't get free health care. I don't think most people I know get free health care. But this is the other, the socialist mindset of the people behind the caravan, the people telling women like this woman who is being interviewed, don't worry, come on into America, and you too can have free health care, free housing, free food, free everything. This is a test This caravan is a test of the resolve of the American people, of President Trump and the conservative mindset that still has their head on straight to say, we are not going to abandon borders. We're going to, in the next segment in this show, we're going to talk about this same, uh, it is a... um, same song, different, you know, different verse happening all over the world with respect to the notion of the right of people, the assertion of people to say, because I want to come to your country, you have to let me in and you have to give me exactly what I want. It's happened with Islamic refugees flooding into Europe. It's happening here in America with the caravan and there needs to be a resolve. It's a deeper question than just can we afford to, to care for them. The question is, do we understand the, the idea of sovereignty and are the importance of our borders? Debbie George, America, can we talk Facebook Live? Come back in four minutes. The federal government spends $900 billion annually on anti-poverty programs. What has it produced? 75% of black children are born into fatherless homes. 43% of the prison population is black. The black poverty rate has remained at twice the national average. And cities like Oakland, Baltimore, St. Louis, and Detroit are in ruins. Instead of helping, bad policies and billions of dollars have spread a sickness in the black community. It's time for a cure. The Center for Urban Renewal and Education, CURE, led by President Star Parker, is addressing our nation's most critical problems in our nation's most distressed zip codes. CURE's mission is to fight poverty and restore dignity through faith, freedom, and personal responsibility. To find out more, to read about how CURE works, and how you can help, 
please visit urbancure.org and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Together, you and I can cure America. The right to freedom of speech, to be who you are and to speak your mind, is a foundational American value enshrined in the First Amendment to our Constitution. And nowhere is that value more important than on America's college campuses. But too often on our campuses, unpopular political opinions or religious beliefs are met with censorship or even violence instead of honest dialogue and discussion. And Texas colleges are no exception. Schools like the University of Texas at Austin, Sam Houston State University, and the University of North Texas all place burdensome restrictions on free speech. That's why the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE, fights back against the censors to defend liberty on America's college campuses. Does your college or alma mater uphold our most cherished American value of freedom of speech? Find out by visiting thefire.org and consider lending FIRE your support. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is such a huge issue to understand, to get on top of what is happening with the uh, this caravan at the border, because it's not an innocent, uh, organic uprising of poverty. It is an organized, soft assault on America, on its borders, and in particular, with the idea, not just do we have the backbone and courage to stand strong and insist on border security, insist on the notion that we decide who comes to America, that we have citizenship standards, that we have asylum laws, that you have to have 
a legal path existing in America's current laws to come here because this problem has already overwhelmed Europe, not the obviously not the Central American migrants, but the same, as I say, same song, different verse. In right now in Europe, we have, as we've talked about in the show many times, and you've certainly followed if you pay attention to the news at all, we had a huge problem in Europe with the influx of Islamic immigrants from North Africa, from the Middle East, have wreaked havoc on the legal system, and they brought terror attacks with them. They've wreaked havoc in the legal system. They have created just cultural challenges. So America's already watching what's happening in Europe. That is a particular problem related to Islam and the beliefs and practices in Islamic cultures that are being foisted onto the Western European cultures. So that's one problem. But the mindset behind it that is pushed by many people in on the left, in the left-wing mindset, is you just push these people, you encourage them to go there, and, and you challenge, you, you get right in the face of the idea of Western civilization, Western culture, the rule of law, the, the notion of, a, of nation states having an identity. This is what the left-wing globalist mindset hates. The idea, especially that America has a cultural identity that we love, we cherish. It is unrelated to race or, and, or national origin or skin color. It has everything to do with the values we hold as Americans. And frankly, Europe had those kind of cultures too. They've had a huge problem in recent years. So interestingly enough, many Democrats in this country, Democrats in leadership positions or people you'd recognize as national, you know, national figures in the Democrat Party, they are stuck. They do not know what to do about this caravan problem. The air, the caravan and immigration is now the number one issue on Americans' minds. There's not a lot of, there are people in America who say, well, we need to, you know, try to help people. We want to help the poor. Of course we do. America's the most generous nation on earth, has been for decades, probably always will be, and we already help these people. The question of whether we have to surrender our borders to a mob coming through from the from uh, an invasion from Central America, most Americans are not with that. But the Democrats have managed to stir up a lot of the uh, their voting base, a lot of people in the Democrat Party who are... You know, they're the identity uh, group, uh, you know, identity hyphen groups, making them think that and, and encouraging them to support the caravan. And so now the Democrats don't they, they don't know what to do about this. They're really stuck. So Hillary tried going over to Europe. Hillary Clinton, uh, who is, by the way, according to her own advisors, planning running for president again in 2020. She just can't help herself. But anyway, Hillary Clinton's advisors are pointing out that they that Hillary went to warn the Europeans that they better rein in their migrant problem, their migrant problem. But she said to them, the reason is because their failure to control their borders in European countries, their failure to control who comes into their country to demand assimilation, to demand that people embrace you know Western values that they, at least with respect to how they live, the laws they follow, their behavior in public. All of that, Hillary said the problem with the migrants is because Europe has just let you know chaos reign, that what's happened is the people uh, in Europe are becoming supportive of populist, populist candidates and populist parties. So she, her warning was, look, you better do something about your immigration problem because you're giving rise to populism. And this populism, you know, all these terms get thrown around. 
People in Germany, for example, who are sick of Angela Merkel and want her to stop letting every Islamic immigrant in in the world into Germany, these are not mean people. They're not bigoted. They're not biased. They want their country back. They want a country that where, where everyone understands that every, everyone in that country follows the same laws, understands common behavior permitted and required in public. Germany's had a huge problem. We're going to get to Angela Merkel in a second because she really tipped her hand about this. So anyway, Hillary runs over. She tells Europe, look out. Even John Kerry. Now, Hillary and John Kerry don't have the backbone to make the statement in America that they're making in Europe. They're over there blathering away to Europe about how you guys really better watch out because these migrants are running over, are overrunning your country and you're going to give rise to a sense of populism, people wanting their country back, having a sense of nationalism. So John Kerry went over too. And later, five days later, this past week went over and warned, uh, again, warned uh, the um, Europeans about all the migrants and recognizing, acknowledging Europe is being harmed by mass immigration, asylum, um, and, and saying it's hurting your countries. So I got to tell you that the interesting, um, and so as, as other uh, ways that people are handling these these issues, um, the country of Austria, as, oh, as an example, now actually I want to hit Angela Merkel too. So Angela Merkel was speaking at something or other. I went to hear her speech because I thought it'd be fun to play a clip, but actually she gave a speech in German, so I can't do that. So I'm going to tell you what she said. Angela Merkel over there in uh, in, in a meeting of the um, European Union member states actually said the European Union member states, meaning the countries of Europe, must be prepared to transfer power over to Brussels, referring to the European Union, at a debate on the tensions between globalization and international sovereignty, and said nation states must today be prepared to give up their sovereignty. Let that sink in. The leader of Germany, who's been ridiculed, scorned, criticized for her unbelievable surrender of Germany's borders and the overrunning of the big cities in Germany with Islamic immigrants, the crime problems, the women aren't safe in public, the crime problems, the terrorism problems. She's been criticized and her answer is, oh, go ahead and give up the nation state. That's why I say, folks, this caravan battle, this issue with the caravan, the southern border of America, it's happening. I'm saying same song, different verse happening in Germany, happening also in France. This uh, goofball leader in, in France joined in with Angela Merkel, essentially saying um, that we'd have to push on with plans to curb national sovereignty in the Eurozone, in Europe. So you have the French reaction, the German reaction, the European reaction by leaders, elected leaders to this Islamic influx that is overwhelming their country. The leaders saying essentially, well, let's just give up the idea of a country. Let's give up our, our culture, our identity as France, Germany, the other countries. And, and then, we, then we won't have this problem anymore. But they're wrong. They will. Because the people in their countries, this is why the populist that Hillary Clinton's so afraid of, this is why the populist mindset is coming to, to the forefront. It's not hatred of people who don't look like you. It's not xenophobia. It's not bigoted, unfair hate. It is people saying, we, our country, we have a culture of liberty. We have a, we have a history of a culture of the rule of law. And we 
get to hold on to our country. This is the reaction in America to the caravan. And this is the problem that the Democrats have in this country because they have been encouraging the caravan and the abandonment of the border and the weakening of the border and letting everyone become a citizen and trying to quickly spread all these people who are in America illegally, turn them into citizens immediately. Now they can see it is in front of the American public's eyes in the caravan. And people are saying, wait a minute, all these people? I mean, there are, you know, whatever there are in the world, 7 billion people or something, 7.5 billion, at least 1.5 to 2.2 billion or something in that range are impoverished. If our standard is going to be, if our answer to this caravan is, if you're impoverished, wherever you're from, you can overrun our borders, you can come here, we'll find some way to give you citizenship, we'll find some way to give you free health care, free food, free housing, free education— We will be overrun, and the American people can see this. So this battle at the border is not about nice versus not nice. It's about whether we believe in the idea of America enough to defend it. Another country is figuring out they do believe in the idea of their country enough. The country of Australia. Amazingly enough, the country of Australia has recently announced they are slashing their migrant intake. Part of what the European Union has uh, with their uh, their plan of uh, you know control uh, parceling out parsing out who's going to come. They they're also the uh, the I mean I'm sorry the United Nations has this agreement on migration and essentially the Australian this is not Austria Australian the island the island nation Australian government said. Prime Minister Scott Morrison said we, they are going to cut back their migrant intake. They're going to have, he said, we have our buses full, our trains full, our schools are full. We have to stop. We have to hold on to our country. Folks, this is an international issue. It is one that requires the clarity of thought that says we value our country. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. We're going to be on this issue a little longer after the break. And then I want to turn to ask you the question, how in the great state of Texas do we have so many people vote for a socialist? Come right back. Place of Glad, come back in four minutes. America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldiers deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dream. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. 
The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas, dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security, and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. The federal government spends $900 billion annually on anti-poverty programs. What has it produced? 75% of black children are born into fatherless homes. 43% of the prison population is black. The black poverty rate has remained at twice the national average. And cities like Oakland, Baltimore, St. Louis, and Detroit are in ruins. Instead of helping, bad policies and billions of dollars have spread a sickness in the black community. It's time for a cure. The Center for Urban Renewal and Education, CURE, led by President Star Parker, is addressing our nation's most critical problems in our nation's most distressed zip codes. CURE's mission is to fight poverty and restore dignity through faith, freedom, and personal responsibility. To find out more, to read about how CURE works, and how you can help, please visit urbancure.org and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Together, you and I can cure America. Have you heard of the Policy Circle? It's a national network of women who come together in neighborhood conversations to discuss the public policies impacting their communities. You can think of it as a book club, but instead of reviewing a book, members discuss public policy issues. Policy Circle members have access to membership-only resources and benefits that complement a thoughtful framework for women to come together and have fact-based discussions. From healthcare to poverty... From free enterprise to education, from fiscal responsibility to the First Amendment, we discuss the issues that shape America. Change starts with a conversation. Conversations happen when women across the nation are connected and engaged in their communities, openly sharing their views and taking a leadership role in policy dialogue on what human creativity can accomplish in a free economy. Are you ready to join a growing network of engaged women? To join or start your own policy circle, visit thepolicycircle.org today. That's thepolicycircle.org. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is such a, this is, this night is so full of news. The week was so full of news and I'm trying to hit top stories tonight. Um, I think this migrant thing is a great opportunity. This migrant caravan coming through and attempting to flood the American border, the American southern border, is a great opportunity to remind all of us about how much the idea of law and order matters, the idea of citizenship matters, the notion of the right of sovereign nation states to define their borders, to control their borders, and to define who and what they are as a nation. 
And you like to think that you're doing it on your own, that your country is reaching your decisions. And you may hear your fellow citizens. You may have friends who are on the American left or who say, oh, I think we should let them all in. We can afford it. This is the argument of the American left. We have so much money. America is so wealthy. What could it possibly hurt? So we add a few million people. You know, we're a huge country. A few million won't hurt. And there are the innocent kind of numbnuts Democrats who just aren't very informed who actually think that all they'd be doing is letting a few nice people in who will simply join our economy and be helpful. And besides, we're being generous and nice. But there is behind it the left wing, the anti-American left wing mindset that is forever about trying to build a permanent Democrat voting majority. And so the caravan policy, the American left idea of being sympathetic, let them in. Uh, and, and of course, once they get in, they may make application for asylum. And then, of course, we have our laws that prevent us from keeping the children uh, in in, uh, in detention centers while we're processing asylum claims. So we're supposed to let them loose in the country and say, but promise you'll come back for your hearing, which, of course, no one ever does. So there are the left wing, you know, the masters of the universe, the American left, who see all this chaos at the border as simply the Democrat, you know, massive voting base um, project. That that is what it is to them. There are people who are, and you can, there are people who are sympathetic. And maybe more sympathetic than I might sound to you. I want to help people, but I want to hold on to America. We need to have our country be the country it is, a country of opportunity, abundance, and that we can't be that. We will lose that if we abandon the idea of citizenship, borders, standards applied, and, and the notion that we can help people who are impoverished in the world without bringing them all to America. But in addition to all the American leftists, you know, pulling strings behind the scenes to uh, make the the argument a sympathetic argument that Amer- or that a notion that President Trump is being mean to people because he won't let them all come here. There is another force in place, and we've talked about this before in the show, but I want to tell you this most recent discovery again: George Soros, a George Soros sponsored immigration network, exposed in Italy. So you may think, or the mainstream media will try to present to you, well, they have these poor immigrants, they're coming from poor countries, and they're they're impoverished, or they're coming from countries where there's, there's racial tension or there's religious tension. And so they show up at the borders of these European countries, and Italy obviously having many um, borders in the water. They have ports, and so people are showing up at the ports or just on their shores somewhere. And the appearance that the media tries to tell you and left-wing thinking tries to tell you is these are just... Poor people, let them in. My gosh, are just you know they're just barely uh, making it. They made it here safely. We can, we, you know, Italy can afford to take them in. George Soros, the evil mastermind of much in this world, is behind this massive network exposed in Italy, bringing people to Italy to try to again overwhelm their system to get to the point where the nation states, the ra- the rational Western civilization, rule of law, nation states, simply surrender to the masses and say, fine, we'll give in to globalization, we'll, we'll surrender our nation state identity, that they are being encouraged to give in to the European Union, just become part of the mass globalist mess. And the people who have the courage to speak up are being mocked, ridiculed, maligned for claiming that somehow it matters that nation states exist. I also want to mention on this topic that um, the other problem in America we have, uh, we have judges, and these are Obama judges, unlike 
Supreme Court Justice Roberts, who recently claimed there is no such thing. Obama judges who will not allow President Trump to carry out his constitutional role in making executive orders related to all of this influx at, at the border. So we have a judge banned uh, the United States from enforcing Trump's administration's asylum policy. I don't actually know where that one stands. I think it will make it to the Supreme Court eventually, and the court will will stand with President Trump because he has an unequivocal, indisputable right as president to decide those policies. Um, and also, you may have noticed uh, the migrants, some... Now, again, these are not... <laughs> When the people try to paint the caravan as a bunch of, you know, just uh, low-income women barely making it through, somehow they somebody came along. This is why I'm telling you it's contrived and pushed and funded and orchestrated. An organization came along and filed suit in federal court in America on behalf of the migrants claiming a violation of their constitutional rights by Trump's policies. I mean, heaven help us if a court can't throw that one out. But I really wanted to get to in this uh, segment because there's always more time than there is, or yeah, there's less time in too many topics. But there's an amazing thing I was thinking about the most a recent election cycle. We here in Texas, we always call ourselves, you know, the we're kind of the leader of liberty in America. Texas is the, you know, the just has a reputation and actually a legislative and historic uh, legacy of being the state that tries to stand up for limited government, individual freedom, the rights of the people. You know, we're, we're and and really really entrepreneurial and free market. But what happened in this last election cycle? We just, you know, had our midterm elections. We did reelect our stellar U.S. Senator Ted Cruz, but that victory of Ted Cruz was painfully, unnecessarily close and unjustifiably close. And I wanted to raise this, Not I, it is for all of our listeners, but I want to tell you that our job right now between November, where we are right now, and November of 2020, where we're going to be electing the next president, and we have all of our members of the U.S. Congress up again, we have a different set of senators up again, our job among many, is to feel personally responsible, to spread the dots, to spread the information, connect the dots, help people understand where the American left lives politically. The anti-American left is profoundly socialist. They're not a little bit socialist, but really kind of in the American ballpark. They're not even playing in the American ballpark. They're gone. And so, I will tell you why I say that about Texas, why it concerns me so much, because the Democrat candidate was a, I mean, just, he doesn't stand there, as most Democrat candidates do not stand there and say, hi, I'm a socialist, vote for me. They say, I just want to make life fairer. I just want to help people. I just think we can do more. We have a problem. And if Texas has a problem, then we really have a problem nationwide, and, and we need to be vigilant in spreading the word of what that problem is. But let me just tell you a, a quick diversion, just a modern update aware of how the what the evil of socialism is and the actual effects on the poorest among us. The country of Venezuela has the largest natural resources um, and of um, of um, gas of oil in the world. Venezuela, the South American country, has the largest oil reserves in the world. They have a shortage of gasoline. The country with the largest oil reserves has a current shortage of gasoline. And the reason is socialism. 
There's no other explanation. People say, well, it's not really socialism. It's just Maduro. He's a bad guy. Or somebody, maybe Chavez was a bad guy. Maduro's, I mean, the answer is it is an evil system that deprives everyone of prosperity, abundance, incentive to work, incentive to take care of yourself. You can't take care of yourself because the government does not incentivize you to do that. And, you know, I will tell you, there was a, uh, I, because it was Thanksgiving this past week, I already told this story in my podcast, so I'll just say in a quick summary way, you realize America's founding, when the pilgrims first came here, the very first uh, year they tried to grow crops because they have been required by their contract, by the people that loaned the money to sail across the ocean, they were required to have communal farming. And the communal farming resulted in near starvation for our happy pilgrim ancestors. And the very next year, the guy in charge who, who uh, wrote in his diary of Plymouth, yeah, of Plymouth Plantation, I think it's called, um, he wrote about uh, the uh, William Bradford, governor of Plymouth Colony, said the only answer was you have to have people own the piece of property, the farming, and responsible for, to plant their food, to feed their families. That incentivizes people to work. Socialism destroys every normal tendency to work. And now let me turn to our Texas elections. A really huge point, we're going to go off to break here in a second, but a huge point to keep in mind that Texas is filled with California immigrants. Californians coming here, we're always fretting about, well, what if they bring their bad voting habits and come here and vote for big government and high taxes and lots of regulation? But the astonishing thing in this most recent election cycle, they did a poll, people walking out. How long have you been in Texas? And did you vote for the Republican Cruz or the Democrat O'Rourke? And sadly... It is not what you think. Ted Cruz won the transplants as native Texans that voted for Beto O'Rourke. More on this after the break. Debbie George Jass, America Can We Talk. Four minutes. Come back on Facebook Live. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. 
If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldiers deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. Welcome back. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. I, I got to tell you one more thing on this. Uh, I am truly, I, I, I love living in Texas. And, you know, my husband and I have moved a few times. I grew up in New York, but don't tell anybody. I grew up in upstate New York and we lived in California. We, you know, practiced law out there, lived in Washington, D.C., and then here in Texas. But the reason we love, we moved, came to Texas, we came here in the year 2000, um, is because there's just such a spirit of freedom and upbeat entrepreneur, happy, you know, uh, can-do attitude. It just it just radiates in Texas. And it's also, it's a very, um, you know, it's uh, the people use the expression Bible Belt, um, and it is that. I mean, there are a lot of people here who are very dedicated to their faith, but not in a, uh, you know, confrontational, aggressive way. It's just it's just a, a wonderful culture and, and uh, con- uh, state to live, and we love it. So I'm very troubled because Texas has been, uh, as I say, through the legislative process, through uh, just 
our our approach to life, this uh, the state in America that people look to and count on for the state that will show us show other states the way that we can hold on to individual liberty, we can hold on to free markets, we can hold on to our love of entrepreneurship. Um, and so the idea that I will say his name Beto O'Rourke, the Democrat candidate for Senate, the idea that he came even in the ballpark of close to Ted Cruz is very troubling to people. And I, my personal take on it is, I mean, a lot of it has to do with personality. And, you know, people think Beto O'Rourke is next John F. Kennedy. He's so cool. He could be the next Camelot, all this garbage. You know, I'm sorry. We don't vote for people because they're cool. I mean, you, you can do that like when you're in junior high school and you're voting for, you know, whatever you vote for in junior high school, who's the cutest or something. This is government. This is, this is America's future. And people got duped. Good, solid, hardworking, you know, mainstream Texans got duped by Beto because he's cool. He did spend, I don't know if it was two or three times. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. He spent more than Ted Cruz. He raised a ton of money. Money came from around the country. And the reason it did is because Ted Cruz, if you ask any serious conservative in the country, Top 10 conservatives in Washington, Ted Cruz will be on every list. He's actually beyond being a U.S. senator. He's a close advisor and helper to President Trump. He is the, he's a you know, brilliant guy. He is rooted in the Constitution, rooted in his Christian faith, and very, very savvy at thinking of solutions, at being persuasive, at, at finding solutions for everything we face in this country with the idea of holding on to a conservative mindset, a rule of law, you know, conservative structure of this country based on liberty. The guy, so so he's a leader. So many, many anti-American leftists would do just about anything to take him out, including donating millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars, which they tried and still failed. But they came too close to make me happy. In Texas, there should not be that the that uh, Ted that uh, Beto O'Rourke won a majority of the native Texans. At least the, now, this is not scientific polling. To be clear, somebody's exit polling. You know, it wasn't like three people. It was exit polling, walking out of the polling booth on election day, saying, "Hey, how long you lived here, and who'd you vote for?" I mean, the idea that we had this percentage of native Texans voting for Beto O'Rourke is problematic. It again calls up the need for. Patriots, people who love this country, Texans who love this state, to be on the on the on the um, aggressive, be on be on the don't just always be def- on the defensive, be on the offensive. Don't just be defending Ted Cruz. He's a good guy. His policy's right. He was right on this. Blah blah blah. Get go on the offensive and point out the great difficulties that countries face when they embrace socialism. And Beto O'Rourke is nothing less than a full-on socialist. And, you know, I'm going to stop using that word socialist because too many millennials have made that into a friendly term, kind of like being social and friendly. They think that's what it is. I'm going to use the term Marxist because Marxist is also true of Beto O'Rourke. And it's also a very, um, it still carries the um, alarm, uh, you hear the word in America, you think, oh, Marxist, I don't think so. So use the words that are effective and use them to tell your friends why it's so important to reject these ideas that Beto O'Rourke stands for and the, frankly, the Democrat Party of today stands for. I will tell you, I went back to his website, Beto's website, and just to take a look at what he ran on. Now, as all 
socialists do, Democrats in this country who don't want to admit they're socialists, they find happy, fuzzy talk, you know, friendly sounding ways to share what they stand for. They're just about sharing and love. He's in favor of socialized medicine. Understand that you will never have free market health care back if the Democrats get a hold of the U.S. House and the Senate and the White House. The free market health care system, health care freedom in this country will be gone and you will never get it back. Understand that risk. Socialized medicine is not about helping poor people. It is about government control of the health care system. If, if anything else, the Democrats live to take control of things, including the health care system. He is completely in favor of socialized education. The idea that you're, you pool money, you force through taxation, the government's pooling of money that you and other individuals and businesses earned, and they take that money and pay for the education of people, college education included. So you're, it is a socialized education. It will come to be a right. If we get to the notion in this country, we get the Democrat policies in of of socialized medicine, socialized education, don't worry, government pays for it all, we'll never get rid of that. This is why the battle between now and and November 2020 is huge. Get in the battle to share with people the day-to-day, on-the-ground realism of what socialism does. Beto also is very amenable to universal basic income. Another Marxist idea. Another dangerous, crummy, harmful Marxist idea. And he's fine with it. This isn't really to pick on Beto, it's to pick on all of left-wing ideology that will destroy this country. Now, I still have, good, I still have six minutes in this segment, because the other topic I wanted to hit uh, in this segment has to do with climate change. And, you know, we just finished having, I guess the, the really big fire in California is now at least surrounded, which is wonderful. I mean... God bless those firefighters, first responders, you know, communities are jumping in and opening up gyms and places for people to come and stay and, and feeding them and bringing them Thanksgiving dinner. I mean, the, pe- the generosity and goodness of the American people is just bursting out uh, all over the place in the California fires. But we had the California fires and then we had the coldest, most frigid Thanksgiving day in, in 100 years or something like that. I mean, there were, there were just frigid temperatures all up and down the East Coast, early snow, very, very, very cold weather. So I want to point out something about uh, this climate change stuff, because obviously the left is, and Jerry Brown, you know, is trying to uh, take full advantage of the fires and saying, see, see, climate change. And as we point on the show many times, we have climatologists on and other experts who pointed out, California refuses to follow basic responsible forestry practices that result in reducing, they don't eliminate the possibility of all fire. They reduce the size, the scope, and the heat of fires through normal, responsible forestry practices, which California won't do because they don't want to ever, you know, they, they just want to leave it all to nature. And so they've got this ridiculous situation out there with this under underbrush and toppled trees, nothing cleared, no cleared areas, no way to stop the fire. So the lefties caused the problem out there, but they're jumping on this fire thing to point out that, see, see, it's all climate change. I want to just mention, and then the other thing that happened was, of course, Thanksgiving was so cold back east, so President Trump had a, a kind of snarky tweet out 
related to the cold weather uh, on, on Thanksgiving. And his tweet said, you know, that the left didn't like it at all. It said, brutal, an extended cold blast could shatter all records, whatever happened to global warming. Now, I will say, you know, right away, of course, lefty said, oh, he's, he's such a dope. You know, he's not every no one thought winter would ever end just because we had a cold Thanksgiving doesn't mean global climate change isn't real. So they want you to make that connection. You understand if Jerry Brown has a meltdown and blames climate change, blames the fires on climate change, he's allowed to do that. He can take a current event and blame it on climate change. But President Trump cannot take a current event and and take a shot at climate change. But I want to just share a few things with you because this is going to go on and on and on because of the uh, fire's uh, damage. I want to remind you of several quotes made by alleged experts with respect to climate change and understand just like these caravans, just like this immigrant invasion, this is an orchestrated leftist idea. This man-caused extreme climate change agenda is all about socialism and taking control of uh, of the people of the world. Let me just tell you two quotes. Okay, Christina... F-I-G-U-E-R-E-S, Figueres, let's go with that. Christiana Figueres, Executive Secretary of the UN's Framework Convention on Climate Change, said in a February 2015 conference in Brussels that the UN's real purpose in pushing climate hysteria is to end capitalism throughout the world. These are her words. This is the first time in human history that we are setting ourselves the task of intentionally changing, getting rid of the economic development model that has reigned since the Industrial Revolution. She's speaking of free market capitalism. She's acknowledging the UN's agenda is about destroying free market capitalism. Another senior U.N. official, Dr. Otmar Edenhofer, said um, in, a, in, the Swiss news, in a Swiss newspaper at the time he was co-chair of the U.N.'s IPCC, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, Working Group 3, made this statement. One must free oneself from the illusion that the international climate policy is environmental policy. What we're doing has almost nothing to do with the climate. We must state clearly that we use climate policy to redistribute de facto the world's wealth. Climate policy has almost nothing to do with protecting the environment. The next World Climate Summit in Cancun is actually an economy summit during which distribution of the world's resources will be negotiated. You know, when I first heard pundits years ago saying that environmentalism was a new home of the whack job socialist, extreme left-wing socialist, I thought, no, these are people just confused about climate, or there's people just, maybe they have legitimate concerns. This is a left-wing ideology. I'm not saying you don't take care of the climate, you want clean air and clean water, but the radical left climate change mindset is not based, the people orchestrating it, the people running it, the people putting papers out to dupe the, the world's population into believing their agenda. These people are about economic redistribution of wealth, not climate. Okay, I'm going to go off to break here. When we come back from the break, I'll have my first five of the second hour, my cruise through the news, and then I have joining me Elizabeth Savage wolf in studio. Don't go away. Facebook Live. Come back in four minutes. 